my feet. It is I, myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still didn't believe it, because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. He told them, This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my father has promised. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him, and they returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, please open our minds to understand the scriptures and clothe us us with your power as you did for the believers in Jerusalem so that we can be effective witnesses for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, here we are, 40 days to prepare, 10 days to wait, and a lifetime to change the world. That seems to be the task of the, the believers. But, but who are they? Well, it's just the 11, isn't it? And by, by two women, um, leave it all to them. No, sorry. And I mean that. I would much prefer to leave witnessing and preaching. Actually, I wouldn't. But... <laughs> Start again. It would be convenient, wouldn't it, if the professionals did all the work. But that's not what Jesus tells us here. Because it's not just the 11. There's the women who went in the first verses of chapter 24 very early in the morning. And there's the two who went to Emmaus and came back again. It's quite late on Easter Sunday evening. And then it says the others that were with them in verse uh, 32, I think. 
they found the eleven and those with them assembled together. And if you look in Acts, there's a bit of an overlap. Luke 1, Luke 2. There's about 120. So this is the rank and file. This is believers, not just the experts, not just the ten talent men and women. This is rank and file to whom Jesus is speaking. And it's the same day, while they were still talking about the report from the two who'd come back from Emmaus, Jesus stands there, and we have the commission. This, this is supposed to be called uh, the commission, uh, the promise, and the farewell. But this is the commission. And he starts in verse 36, with peace be with you. And that's reassuring, isn't it? Because the big task is to come, and we do need peace with God. And then he moves on to proof of who he is, and the proof of the resurrection, and the proof of his power, and his acknowledgement by the Father. And that's visible. It's, it's to do with seeing, and hearing, and, and touching, and watching Jesus eat a piece of broiled fish. And then he says, this is what I told you while I was with you, everything must be fulfilled that's written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. That's the whole of the Old Testament. That's a way of describing the whole of the Old Testament. And in our task, which is just to come, we're sometimes a bit bamboozled, aren't we? Because we don't actually understand everything, at least I don't. And we sometimes have real difficulty trying to express and explain something that we don't fully <laughs> understand. And perhaps that's why the first thing that Jesus does is not to say the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you, not to say you're going to have great power, but he opens their minds so that they can understand the Scriptures, everything for them, that's the Old Testament. Everything about Jesus. To understand that is a start. So, the explanation is that the Christ, Messiah, anointed, Son of Man, servant of God, God incarnate, will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And they've seen that. They know God is reliable. They know his promises can be relied upon. They know that he's sovereign. And then comes the task. Equally certain, equally within God's sovereignty, repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Oh, God, somebody else is going to do it. Can you imagine the sigh of relief? It's going to happen. God's going to do it. And we say that all the time, don't we? Let go, let God. God will do it. That, that's, oh, what a relief. But, but then the next line, you are witnesses of these things, is, for me at least, extremely inconvenient. 
but it's repentance and forgiveness. We would love, wouldn't we, just to be able to say, God forgives everybody. But it's not quite what it says. And Jesus has opened the minds of the believers. And you have to assume it's all of them. And it's repentance and forgiveness. And shock, horror, it's to be to all nations. Everybody, not just the people we know and with whom we feel comfortable. So that's a bit of a challenge, really. But it does fulfill something in Scripture. Isaiah 52, the Lord has laid bare his mighty arm in the sight of all the nations, and all the earth shall see the salvation of our God. It's not new, and therefore we can trust it, because Jesus has already explained the need for fulfillment, the certainty of fulfillment of everything about him in the Scriptures. And then comes the promise. So it's peace, proof, instructions, and then the promise of power. The, the passage we've been reading today, down to this section, I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. That takes 40 days, according to Acts 1. And that's 40 days with Jesus. I don't think it's necessarily all the time because he does seem to appear to different people in, in different places at different times. But that's a period of preparation with Jesus. And that is surely the best way to prepare for anything to do with his work. So he's opened their minds to understand scripture. That is to receive wisdom. And that is to ensure that the power of the Holy Spirit is used wisely with wisdom according to scripture and according to God's promise. Sometimes, I've got to be very careful how I say this because I sat next to somebody the other day and I was a bit rude about some American television evangelists and about three minutes later I said oh yes what does your father do and of course you can all say it together he is an American television evangelist <laughs> but if power is used wrongly even God's power for ourselves for our satisfaction make us feel better doesn't seem to be the purpose. If power is used wrongly, then it's wrong or it's tyranny or it's worse. But if it's used with God's wisdom, then it's the power of God unto salvation for the Jew first and then for the Greek. So he's going to send power, but there's a period of preparation, perhaps so that we know have some idea of how we're supposed to use it. It's what the Father has promised. Did, you, did God promise in the Old Testament that the Holy Spirit would come in quite this way? Well, I think so. Joel 2, I'll pour up my spirit on all people. Oddly enough, it goes on and says twice, men and women, 
which is encouraging. And in Ezekiel 36, I'll put a new spirit in you and move you to keep my laws. And then Jesus, of course, in John 14 to 16, explains so much about the Holy Spirit. But Ezekiel talks about cleansing, making Israel holy. The nations will know when my sacri- sorry, when my sanctuary, the place where God lives, is among them forever. And in John, Jesus says, I'll, I will come to you. We will come, sorry, I will come to you. And he also says, we will come to you and make our home with you. So that is complicated, but it's a pretty extraordinary assurance. You know, I go on about the Old Testament, but it is so that we can know that God's sovereignty that worked then and in God's incarnation in Christ is the same. And this certainty that repentance and forgiveness will be preached to all nations is going to happen. And we've seen it, haven't we, up to a point, but not yet completely. So 40 days after Easter and then 10 days to wait. And that power is for the commission that we've been given, not for other things. Miracles, signs following belief, authenticating preaching. Peter and John after God through them healed the crippled beggar at the gate beautiful, a hall before the Sanhedrin. Filled with the Holy Spirit, Peter said, so, words. And he says, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you completely healed. Of course God loves us and of course we seek healing and we desire it for ourselves and for our friends. Of course we do. Of course we do. We've just heard a tribute to Mike in not withholding God's glory. And that seems to me to be the way we should go. So after 40 days, we get to the last few verses here. When he led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. And the response to that is worship and going back to Jerusalem and waiting, because that's what they were told to do, and praising God in the, in the temple. So what does the ascension mean to us? We don't perhaps make as much of Ascension Day as other parts of the church. But maybe these are just a few thoughts. God's acceptance of the finished work of Jesus for the time being, proof of the reliability and authority of all that Jesus taught, proof of the reliability and authority of all that Jesus prophesied. Perhaps um, 
an assurance of what the Book of Common Prayer uh, says that God accepts Jesus' death at the cross as a full, perfect, sufficient ablation, uh, sacrifice, ablation, and satisfaction for the sins of the whole world. Nothing else. In a sort of literary sense, maybe it closes uh, Luke's first book, starting with the incarnation and moving to the ascension. Jesus in heaven, not on the altar. Jesus ever liveth to make intercession for us, our advocate in heaven. Jesus Christ the righteous, an atoning sacrifice. Completed, Jesus sitting, job done, sitting at the right hand of the Father. And what does it mean in heaven? Well, perhaps that's Daniel 7, one like the Son of Man approaching the Ancient of Days, and he's given authority, glory, sovereign power. And oddly enough, it says all peoples and nations of men, that means men and women, of every language, worshipping him. His dominion is everlasting and will not pass away. Now, you'll be pleased to know I've lost a page. One of the books called the former prophets in the Jewish Tanakh is what we call kings, one kings and two kings. And there is a hint of ascension somewhere in the Old Testament. I got quite excited about this, so I'll try and temper that excitement a bit. But the Lord is about to take Elijah away from Elisha up into heaven in a whirlwind. And Elisha refuses to leave him. This is 2 Kings 2. Please read it. And off they go to the Jordan River, watched by 50 prophets. This is a group, perhaps a training school, perhaps a theological college, but 50 of them watching. About 120 watched Jesus ascend. 50 people watched this incident. Elijah takes off his cloak, rolls it up, and hits the water of the Jordan with it, and the water divides so they can go across the two of them without getting wet. This is like crossing the Red Sea. It's like entering into the Promised Land. And Elijah says, what can I do for you? And Elisha asks for something very odd. He says, let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. Oh, that'll be difficult, says Elijah. But if you see me when I'm taken up, it'll be yours. And down comes the chariot of fire and separates them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind, not a chariot of fire. All the songs aren't right all the time. Especially at Twickenham. Elisha saw it, and he tore his clothes. So what's the point? He picks up Elijah's cloak, his mantle, his badge of office as a prophet of God. And he strikes the river with it, and he speaks. This is what people do, I think, under the instruction of the Holy Spirit. He says, where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? He wants 
to be able to do what he's seen Elijah do for God and under God's power. And the river divides, and he walks back. Fifty people watching. Elijah had been a channel of God's power in many miracles. Multiplications of, of food, raising the dead, pronouncing appointment and uh, deaths of, of kings, words of God to kings and people, turning the nation back. Elijah goes on and performs not just those miracles, but some of them more often, and other miracles. So a double portion of the spirit of Elijah demonstrates God's work in his life, and it's fulfilled. Jesus, if we see him, in our case figuratively, ascending, we can see the same principle at work. And Jesus' miracles outweigh, again, the miracles performed by Elijah. They're all, in a sense, fulfilled in him because this is a sort of foreshadowing. So he did see, and that's perhaps a picture for us of the eyes of faith, he did see his master being taken up into heaven. He did receive the spirit that he'd asked for, and he did act upon that, and he spoke, and he, did, uh, he became the channel for all those miracles. And I'm sure that's a picture for us. Just going back to the instructions, repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are my witnesses. Witnesses give evidence, and the Spirit will bring to our remembrance what Jesus has taught us. He'll take the things of the Father and bring them to us. He'll teach us all things. And that equips us for this task to preach repentance and forgiveness. So in this, could we pray for our leaders and fellow believers that God will give them wisdom, open their minds to understand his word and power to preach it, as we have done. Understanding, which is silent or without power, changes nothing. Power without understanding can be dangerous. Leads to missing the purpose. Witnessing with God's power to repentance and forgiveness of sins to all change the world. And they waited 10 days, as instructed. And then the Holy Spirit came. And if you read in Acts, they did utterly change by God's power, the world around them. So let's pray. Please, Father, open our minds to understand the scriptures.
and clothe us with your power as you did for the believers in Jerusalem so that we can be effective witnesses for you in Jesus' name. Amen.